Every organization is like a little village, and that village's responsibility is to create wealth for the world around and to create a life for the people within. Every leader faces challenges on a daily basis, and the way we navigate those challenges can make a deep and lasting impact for time and eternity. We're helping leaders discover practical tools based on biblical principles and helping you create like-minded communities who will walk with you as you lead your organization to health. Welcome to the Healthy Leaders Podcast. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Peter Hartzell. Today, we are talking about the We Gospel And we are taking our cue from Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10. So if you want to pull up your your Bible app to read that or or to get some context, that'd be a good place to start. Uh, The we gospel, which is uh, something that Phil, uh, we'll we'll let you share the story, but um, there there are vegetable omelets involved, I I hear. (laughs) Yeah, vegetable omelets. (laughs) And IHOP. (laughs) Yeah, and canvas paintings. Okay. All right, now I'm curious, so let's let's dive into it. Okay. So my wife and I, our anniversary is February 3rd, and we're, we're not extravagant people. Uh, but on February 3rd, 2019, it was a Sunday, and so we shared, we celebrated our 43rd anniversary, and we just went to IHOP and, and got vegetable omelets. And... And I got one of these, just like this whispers from God where, you know, a Bible verse just came out and took on meaning. And in Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And the word jumped out at me, the word we. Hmm. And, and so much, I think a lot of times when we read, we are God's masterpiece, I'm thinking I'm God's masterpiece. Hmm. And so I, I could become so self-absorbed and self, self-focused that I think I'm God's masterpiece. And so don't come near me because you might scratch the paint. <laughs> don't touch God's holy holy. Yeah. <laughs> but in reality, I really believe that God means, and you theologians can correct me if I'm wrong or if you disagree, but I really mean, I really think that God is looking at a canvas mm. and he's looking at all of us together and the masterpiece he's painting isn't me, it's we. Mm. It's, it's we are his masterpiece. So he's looking at the relationship between Peter and me right now mm. and how we get along with each other. And that's the masterpiece. Yeah. So the masterpiece isn't I'm all shiny and polished and, and stay away because you'll scratch the paint or you'll you'll smudge the finish the masterpiece is actually the messiness that we get into when we try to have relationships and we bump into each other it's just almost a guarantee that in practically every relationship there is going to be messiness mm. there is going to be conflict and the bible tells us how to address the conflict privately respectfully hearing each other out so we're we're living in a me world yeah and, we're, and I think we're living in a me world, and I think a lot of people are living with a me gospel, like I'm the, I'm the masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And so I need a stage to get up on, yep. and I need a platform, and I need, a, I need, a, I need a role, I need a, a ministry. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think what God's looking at is the we, mm-hmm. 
and and he's looking at the entire painting, the entire community as we, and and a lot of people come into. Uh, I did. Most of us did. We came to Jesus because what it was, what it was in it for me. Right. And I think one of the scariest, most dangerous things you can do is say, "God told me." Right. And you throw that God card in somebody's face, and then what are we supposed to do? But I, I think God created us to be we. I, I think He created us to be a community, individually to be clean and pure and Christ-like, but then collectively to be. Christ-like. If you think of a pie and think of like who I am in Christ and, and, and at my very best in my highest levels of maturity, I am only going to be a small slice. The Jesus in me is, is a small slice. And then there's still a big chunk of me that's still a godless void. I mean, I still have a lot of areas that need to be worked on. And, and, and that's just really stating the obvious. And so as I, as I connect with you, you're a slice of Jesus also. But as we, as we take away our walls and take away our, we have healthy boundaries, but we take away our unhealthy walls and we connect together with vulnerability and transparency, then we are actually able to interact with each other and come closer to completing each other. Mm. And the only way to do that is with Jesus in the center of it, because if you don't, we're just, we are not able to be selfless without Jesus. Hmm. So, so God made us to interact with each other. He didn't make us to be standalone Christians. And, and so we're not supposed to stand on a pedestal, pedestal and say, hey, look at me, I'm a masterpiece. Hmm. So just think of all the we's that the masterpieces. Like our marriage should be a masterpiece. When God looks at our marriage, when God looks at our family, it should be our masterpiece, our workplace, our small group, um, the friendship. If there's a friendship, it should be a masterpiece. And at any given time, maybe one person is giving more than the other. Some, but, but somebody has to complete. They have to complete each other. Like I called a friend of mine this morning. I read the word that we're supposed to intercede so I read this morning in 1 Timothy 2 uh, that we're to pray for all people and ask God to help them and intercede on their behalf. And that word intercede just jumped out at me. So I called my friend Scott, who's just, he's just a, he's a wonderful close friend of mine and a Bible scholar. He actually learned the Greek and Hebrew alphabet before he learned the English alphabet. <laughs> and so I could, I can call him and ask him about any, any word in the Bible and any phrase, what it means. Wow. What does intercede actually mean? And, and it means that I need to, it, it's not just to pray for them, but to fill in for them Wow! in real everyday life, mm. to cover for them, to step, step in where they need me. A lot of times when we think about intercession or interceding, <clears throat> at least in the kind of the, the church that I grew up in, it was like, we need to be interceding for them because they're going through a hard time. So let's all gather together and pray and mm -hmm. intercede. Not to say that that's a bad thing, but it's, it's not just a matter of sitting down and praying, but it's actually, that's more, it's more relational than that. Yeah. It's filling in even, yeah. even if it's not deserved sometimes. Sure. 
and it's it's like it's it's a it's like a forward investment hmm. that we make in the relationship. So a, a good a good example of that is is that uh, when I, when I ran Cohen, I had a team, and I'm a visionary. I I'm, I see. I, I, I tend to see things that are wrong and I tend to see how to change them. I could see like situations with employees. I could see things that other people couldn't see and I could see what needed to be changed, but I didn't have the ability. I, I've heard many people say this like John Maxwell and Andy Stanley. I'm not a counselor. Hmm. I didn't have the ability to actually help them change even though I could see what needed to be done. And, and my Alan and, and Justin, they were two of my managers, and they, they just said, you sit here in your office, you stay here, we will take care of it. Hmm. And so they filled in for me hmm. where, where I couldn't do it. Another thing I'm very weak on is, is managing like financial management. I'm a visionary. Again, I can see things, how to improve things. But as far as creating a financial model that actually works, especially on a large scale, I'm not good at that. And so I had people surrounding me who could do that, who, 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 completed, who completed the masterpiece. And, and so uh, it was like that pie that completed each other. So, so now... I, my life, ever since I had that revelation, instead of focusing how I can be more like Jesus, I focus more on how I can be more like Jesus in each we relationship. Mm. How can we? Because each we is different. Mm -hmm. in, in relating to you, Peter, it's mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. to have a we, a masterpiece, than it is in relating to my wife sure. or other people. Each one is, is unique. So, you know, it stuck out to me, uh, Romans eight, verse 26, it says, likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. The, the Holy spirit literally intercedes or steps in where we don't have the ability, uh, to do it. We are, we are unable to bridge that gap. Uh, that relational gap between us and God. And so he takes that step and, and intercedes, literally intercedes or steps in. So I think a lot of times we, when we talk about prayer, intercession in the, in the form of prayer, it, it's actually a very real, very tactile, very engaged and interactive, kind of like you were just saying with uh, our relationship, the relationship you and I have is going to be dynamically different than the relationship you have with your wife or anybody else. But, it is all together in Christ, and and uh, would would you um, would you dive into that a little bit more? Because I think uh, I think bringing it into context within the workplace, mm -hmm. and and yeah. I, I mean, there's there's a lot of parallels there. Yeah, be, as as the Holy Spirit steps in and 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 knows what we need, even when we don't know what we need, mm -hmm. so are we for each other. Yes. Yeah. And we step in and we just, uh, we're able to be that for each other. We have different temperaments. Mm. We have different families of origins. We have different strengths and weaknesses. We have different triggers. So, so God didn't create us like if we were playing music to play in unison. Mm. He created us so that we could play in harmony. 
And so if you think, think of the masterpiece of the painting, now think of the masterpiece of the band mm. or the symphony that each piece is playing their unique part mm -hmm. and creates harmony rather than unison. Well, in a, in a symphony context, I was thinking about that. If there, there are sections where violins, like there's three or four violins that are playing in unison, but it's intentional. They're doing that so that those parts are elevated and brought mm -hmm. out. But then there's other times where they deviate from each other and, and play. That's, that's such a good picture. So we have to allow God to shape us yeah. to do that. It, does, it doesn't come easy. It's going to take some pain to get through it. So, so Paul, Paul wrote then farther down in that letter, we are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So we didn't, the people that we work with, that's not a random accident. God carefully chose who we were going to work with and who he connects us with. And so for me to demean the people that I work with, regardless of what my position is, is for me to actually work against what God created. Now there's times when we need to let people go and there's times when we need to go. But if we're working together, then, then, then he carefully chose us. Like when I started woodworking, I used to build fine furniture. And I would go through a stack of boards and I would choose each board and align the boards and realign the boards. And I, and I just like we were looking at these tables, these river tables, mm -hmm. I would align the boards until the green, the way that the boards aligned together would be, look like magic. Yeah. It would be a poem. I didn't just randomly put the boards together, but it was specifically for that job. Mm -hmm. So each, each board, the, the grain on the board would match. And, and it's the same thing in a, in a workplace. Everyone is working together, not in unison, mm -hmm. but in their, in their separate, unique ways. One person's an engineer. Another one does repair work. Another one sweeps floors. Each one is doing it in, in their part to make it complete. And then when we were done, we had a complete cabinet. Mm. And so what the customers received was the net result of the we wow. in the cost in the company. Mm. So. Wow. Earlier in that Ephesians two verse that I love that section of scripture because in, in my Bible, anyways, it's titled by grace through faith and, and, we are not saved, it, it will earlier, it says that we're not saved uh, by works, lest anyone should boast. And, and, and in, in the context of what you're just saying, that cabinet was not made by some accident, you know, some happy mm -hmm. accident, as Bob Ross would, would put it. That, that cabinet was made intentionally. It was put together with care and with thought and with planning. You know, in Proverbs, it talks about good planning and hard work leads to prosperity. Mm -hmm. So all, so we are not saved just by our good works or, or we're not saved by our good works, lest anyone should boast, lest anyone be able to say, look at what I've done. Because we can't do it on our own. Like in Romans 8, it says the Holy Spirit is making intercession. We can't save ourselves. We can't bring ourselves into salvation. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God to, to inter intercede. And, and that's ultimately what Jesus did. And we need the we. And we need, the we need we. the community. We need the community. It's not just about going to church. It's right. about, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in Life Together, we need both the God that I know in solitude and yeah. the God that I know in community. With, with One without the other, we're, we're incomplete. That's so good.
So, so let's segue that into this, this idea of the city of God, which we're kind of touching on the idea of the, the workplace and, and now how can we shift our thinking a little bit or shift our thinking a lot, uh, into our workplace and how we interact, how we, how we dance the symphony or this, uh, this dance of working together. And maybe you could even touch on what do we do when, there are pieces or people or things that are out of harmony, that are out mm-hmm. of tune, that need to either be tuned up or let go. Yeah, so that's that. The Psalm forty-one jumped out at me, mm. which gave me that revelation: How great is the Lord! How deserving of praise in the city of our God. Mm. So, where is the city of God? In in reality, any organization whether it's a city, a workplace, a church, is a, can be, it's a city. It has, it has leadership, it has authority, it has people, it has function, it has things that are being done, things that are being created in that city. So I, I got that from, I don't remember who the author was, but every organization is like a little village. And that village's responsibility is to create wealth for the world around, and to create a life for the people within. So if you're going to be at work anyways, why not create? I I don't believe in making money. I believe in creating wealth, using your giftedness. And so what if as as a combined unit, we could create wealth as a team? You know, it's proven that, that two mules can pull more together than one mule, than two mules can pull individually. Right. It's, It's called synergy. Yep. It's a type of it's a type of energy, and so as we form form it into a city of God, and then we have like we teach ways to create your mission and your vision, your values, your uh, how. So it's all it's all done that we all agree and we all have buy in. This is why we're here. This is the story of why we're here, and this is what we're trying to accomplish. Why we're here. And this is how we treat each other. And so it actually, it dawned on me when I was in Hawaii with my daughter, Gloria. And we went to a, um, a Hawaiian restaurant by the beach to watch the sunset and listen to this beautiful Hawaiian music. And this musician named Al, he was singing Hawaiian songs. And he explained how several years ago, the businessmen tried to make English Hawaii's official language. And, and it killed Hawaii's culture. So go with me because I just, I just changed the subject, but I'm going to come back around and I'm, I'm going to bring you back around and make a circle. Mm-hmm. And so some people have worked to revive the language through music and speaking in Hawaiian in the schools. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking about it, the importance of culture, because every city has a culture. That's one of the most important things of a culture. So a city basically has three things going on in it. It has its assets, which is its buildings, its its money, and then it has its activities, and then it has its culture. And the culture, to me, is the most important thing. That is what's going on between in the spirits of the people that are in that city. So I started taking notes on the Hawaiian culture. And then I started thinking back when I grew up Jewish on the Jewish culture. And then I thought about our 26 years as, the men, as Mennonites and the Mennonite culture. 
And then I thought about my eight years as a hippie in the hippie culture, and they all seem to have the same thing in common. They all seem to have united cause. They had a united language. In the Mennonites, we had a certain language, certain terminologies. In, in churches, they have their, their, their uh, what do they call it? Their churches, Christianese. Yeah, Christianese. Uh, in Hawaii, they've got their language. In the Jewish culture, we had Hebrew. Um, in the hippie culture, we had groovy and hot and, and just a lot of different uh, far out and bad trip and bad vibes. We had a language. Right. We also had stories in history. We also had heroes. We had our own music and art. And we had our own behaviors and our own celebrations and events. And so we had this thing that made our culture unique. Mm-hmm. And, that, and so it was a city. It, it may have been a hippie city. It may have been a Mennonite city. Uh, and then, and then and I was meeting with the group, and, and in this group that I used to mentor, and one of the guys said, well, Phil, you keep talking about, about community. What do you mean, hmm. community? And I realized he didn't understand what I was talking about, so I, we went around the room and talked about people who had been in community. Like one, one of them was a, a retired, he was a former military. Two of them were actually I said, so when you're in the battlefield, you form a community there. Wow. What's that like? Yeah. And, and another one had been in college. I said, well, what, the college dorm, you have the college dorm community. Another one had actually had been in a mental hospital, hmm. but they formed a community in that hospital. There, there was a connection. There was an interweaving of their spirits yeah. that was going on so whether it's good or evil, whether it's the Nazi culture, the hippie culture, or, or a city of God, whatever that culture is, it becomes a powerful force to unify and shape the individuals in it. Wow. So the word gospel, my friend Scott, again referring to Scott, he said it was not a religious term. And a lot of the words in the Bible were not religious terms. It was used when someone conquered a city and a tribunal would parade through the town proclaiming the gospel that a new person is now in charge. Wow. So if you think of every organization as a city, every organization is a little city, uh, even if it's within a larger city, and think about who's in charge. Is it the Spirit of God? Is it a leader who is allowing God to be in charge? Is it the personal ambitions of the, of the leader? We're getting back to the secret heart. Yep. What is in charge? Is it money that's in charge? What is it that's really in charge? If there's nobody in charge, we're probably not going to last very long. Something has to be in charge. Yep. So, like, I, and then I thought about Christian missionaries and um, how sometimes they, may, they, go to en- they enter another culture and they try to convert the culture. So you got these missionaries that go to Africa, and, and, and so they bring them to Jesus. And last year they were wearing loincloths, and now they're wearing suits and ties. Mm-hmm. But they haven't really changed in their, their spirit, their culture. They've just learned more sophisticated ways to not get along with each other. <laughs> so Jesus isn't yeah. in the center. Yeah. And, and so they should teach people... If we're going to be a city anyways, if we're going to be a culture, why not invite the highest standard into that culture? Why not have a common spirit around 
the highest spirit, the highest standard. We could build a culture around an individual. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, dictatorships work better than democracies because democracies is whoever is the most powerful. And it goes back and forth if, if the dictator is benevolent. But, but there, there's got to be something that's central that, that we're, we're building on. And of course, that goes back to what's going on in the leader's heart. So we create a culture, but what about creating a culture like the, the most successful culture that has ever existed is what Jesus created. Yeah, that's right. So if we, if we invite Jesus in to gently, just gently, just gradually, just slowly to take charge. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started this experiment in 2013 by just using the book of Proverbs. And like we said earlier, Wherever you start in the Bible, it's always going to lead you to the same place. Yeah, that's right. And you told me the other day about somebody who read Leviticus and met Jesus through Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. So as we invite, who would you want to run your culture? Yeah. That's, would you want somebody who's imperfect, hmm. who has weaknesses, hmm. to run your culture? Somebody who's going to die, and then when he dies, then what? Hmm. Or would you invite Jesus, God, the Bible, and do it and, and do it slowly. You don't have to do it quickly. Mm. And you don't even have to tell people you're doing it. Just your management team is doing it. And do it slowly, experimentally. If it works, then do it some more. If it doesn't work, then back off. So well, and you have created a whole curriculum and a whole um, outline of of how to do it. And it's going to work differently in every every little city is going to have its its own culture. So what worked at Cohen Architectural Woodworking, it's not going to work exactly the same way in, in other organizations, but the principles No, are, because are each universal. of us is different. Each right. of us is yeah. playing a different instrument. Each right. of us is a different individual in the painting. So your, your expression, you know, if your, your organization try, tries this experiment, it's not going to work and look the way it did for, for Phil and his organization. In fact, our group in Mozambique, the way that they're doing it is very different. It's a very different culture. And uh, there's a language difference and there's a, a cultural understanding that's so different. And our group up in Boston, the way that they're doing it in their group is, is going to look different. But the fundamentals is, is universal. Who's going to be in charge. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. And then that, that person, like, it, like we started out, mm -hmm. that, that, that we, as we allow ourselves to come together and we allow the conflicts, we work through the conflicts and allow our differences and we, we come together and remain together in the spirit of love and we work through our differences. We, and I, I, I've seen very few relationships that haven't had to have some conflict that they had to go through to oh, get to sure. the other side. It's, it's how you grow. So yeah. as, we, as we do that, then it forms that city of God. Mm. So it, it forms that, that masterpiece, that we gospel. Yeah. And so if you're going to be at work anyways, why not? That's right. May as well. Let it, let it transform your life from... And I think, I think leaders maybe don't take it seriously enough that uh, the influence that they have over others. Mm -hmm. And I, I took it seriously. In fact, maybe needlessly, I lost a lot of sleep over it because mm -hmm. I thought about... I had, I had two great fears. Somebody once said, 
as a leader, what are your two to three greatest fears? And I had two. And one was that I would make a decision that would harm our organization because it's so easy as a leader. You can just easily make a decision. So I, was, I spent a lot of time and research in the word and talking to other people before I made decisions. And the second one is that I would misjudge somebody. So we were very slow to, yeah. to make decisions. Uh, the whole hiring process, we had a long hiring process, and it was done as a group rather than as an individual. There again, we've got the we, mm. the city of God, because sometimes we would see things, maybe I would see something and I wouldn't like somebody, but somebody else would see something in them that, that they, they could develop them. And there were, there were many times when we'd have an employee that uh, maybe I didn't like, and I said, get rid of him. And maybe several of us didn't like him. And we saw this person was dysfunctioning. You asked about what to do mm-hmm. when somebody's not fitting. And, and one person in the room would say, I think I can help him. And that one person would come alongside him or her and come alongside and help that person. Of course, the person has to want to make it. So sure. the most important question we asked people if they weren't fitting in was, do you want to make it here? And if it was an honest yes, then we, then we would work with them. Yeah. But if they couldn't give an honest yes, then we would just, just help them leave honorably and find a, another city you kind of t- well and you kind of uh in, in some of your notes earlier you had sort of touched on uh we were we were just talking about um uh, i think it was back when we were uh, going through the the going th- for the heart always going for the heart and one of your notes which kind of stuck out to me was talking about firing gently <laughs> which is of uh firing someone gently which is kind of an interesting uh way to think about because when you think about having, as a leader, having to fire someone, uh, if, especially if it's someone you've invested a lot of time and energy in, there's a, there's a sense of loss. Um, or, you know, I, I can't want something for you that you don't want for yourself. So, yeah, I think that's good if you lead with the question, is this, is this something you want? Do you want to be here? Do you want to mm-hmm. figure this out? Do you want to make it? If so, we are going to, our city, we are, our city council is going to rally around mm-hmm. you and we're going to figure out how to make it work. Right. And if it's not a good fit, if it's just at the end of it, it's like, you know what? It's just not the right fit. Then I just don't want to be here. Yeah. Then we actually did that. We would put a team of people around somebody mm-hmm. who was struggling. Maybe they were going through grief mm-hmm. or, or they, they had family problems. We would put a team around people that actually helped them outside of work. Mm-hmm. So whatever it took, we would just, we would just, that city would do whatever it took to make sure everybody succeeded. We also had uh, personality assessments that we'd use to f- find out what the person could possibly be best at. Mm. And we would try them at different things. And if they didn't work in one position, we'd try them in another one. Mm. So then if it comes to the point ultimately at the end where we need to let you go, that decision has been come to as a group and that person recognizes I'm not a good fit here. This is not good for me. It's not good for the culture here. And, and we need to find another. And I know there's, there's going to be times where uh, someone does something that is uh, <laughs> irreconcilable, right. where they just have to go. And like if they cross moral boundaries. Sure, or- sure. And, and those, those are handled differently. So we're not necessarily talking about those types of scenarios, but more of the culture. If someone doesn't, if they don't get the culture or they don't understand it, then generally it's not a problem with 
them as much as the leaders not communicating clearly. It could be. It could be, sure. But if they're a culture fit, that was that was the, yeah. the main reason we'd keep them. And we'd try to find some way that they that we could fit them in. Mm-hmm. But that was the number one thing we looked for is are they a culture fit? And we had we had guys that would move from way uh, one had started as an engineer and we moved him into different positions and eventually he became a gopher mm. and he'd go out on jobs and he'd go out and install and solve problems and he was beloved but as an engineer he was a failure mm. but 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 that having that oneness of spirit first starting out with that oneness of spirit that we gospel spirit and they didn't have to be christians either mm-hmm. to do that yeah they just had to buy into that spirit of our culture. We'll probably talk about this in a future episode. I know you had uh, your uh, HR manager. Um, it'd be good to talk with him about hiring practices, you know, and, and from his perspective as a hiring manager, what is our, our process for hiring? Because it feels like what we're saying ultimately in, and we're kind of getting into the talk of hiring and firing, but uh, if you hire well in the beginning or on the front end, um, you may not necessarily be hiring them for a specific job, but I think what you just said was we actually hire more based on culture than competency in a partic- particular job. Competency is important, of course, um, but but ultimately, uh, are you a culture fit first and foremost? And if the answer is yes, then are you competent? But it'd be good to talk with with him. About, right. Yeah. So we had had our five C's. Mm-hmm. We'd hire them first of all for character. Mm-hmm. And then for competence, because they've got to be good. Yeah. And then we'd hire them for a culture fit. Mm-hmm. And then we'd hire them if they were willing to take correction. Okay. And yep. then if they made a commitment. There's a proverb that says an employee who hires a fool or a bystander is like an archer who shoots at random. Mm. And in another proverb, another version, it says who hires a stranger. Mm. And so a resume doesn't tell us much about a person. Yeah. Because we don't know what, they don't know what they don't know, and we don't know what they don't know. And so before we can actually entrust them deeply into our culture, there has to be a a system or a process to where they're no longer a stranger. Mm -hmm. That's good. And that's why in Acts 6, where uh, they said when they needed people to care for the widows, they said, look out among yourselves. Don't hire strangers with resumes. (laughs) <laughs> and and bad and degrees, but but higher look among yourselves. So we always looked among ourselves, mm. and that's another good function of a city of God to look out among yourselves first, and then. But the, when you do bring other people in, to make sure you integrate them in well. And we had long processes for doing that orientation processes. We had ninety days. We had a lot of different things that we did. To create the city of God, a, a, a couple of other things that we did that really made it a cool city of God was we had a barber shop. Oh wow! It was actually a former drug addict who came, drug addict felon, and uh, we found that it, it really just added a, a very cool. Uh, it just added a cool feature to our workplace. Mm-hmm. This barber would come in once a week, and it saved our employees. They didn't have to go sit in a barber shop for. Yeah. And wait, because they could make an appointment for when it actually, his sister took over. And so they didn't have to wait for an appointment. And and, uh, so they'd they'd clock out, and 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 it was the same 
charge, same fee. This barber didn't have to pay anything. We didn't take a commission. Sure. So it was a win for everybody. Yeah. And then she actually ended up dating one of the guys that, whose hair she was cutting. <laughs> wow. So it, it was just a great, you yeah. know, a great thing. Um, you can do that when you're in a city. You, you, you get the, you have the flexibility and the freedom to think outside the box and be creative and find. If you unique, see it as a city. Yeah. And find when you think of it as a, a place where you clock in and clock out, and then you as the leader have to control or domineer your employees or, or mm -hmm. make sure that they're doing things according to your standards, then everyone's there to please you. But, right. uh, but if it's a city then, and everyone has a role in that city, then everyone's there to please the customer mm -hmm. and, 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 and to serve each other. And to, to love each other. And so you do everything you can to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can bring in a barbershop or you could bring in um, uh, um, uh, the, the show, The Office. They have pretzel day. They bring in a guy mm -hmm. to, to have pretzels, you know, things like that, that, that uh, they add to the culture. They add to the, the, uh, the sense of belonging and community that make it a place where, where people want to be. And I would say even in, in our current world where there's an increasing number of people working remotely, that is something that, that is missed or lost mm -hmm. when you have lots of remote workers or people that don't work in an office or in, a, in an actual community. But that can even be implemented. Those kinds of things can even be implemented. If you have a company where all of your employees or the majority of your employees are remote, you can still implement that stuff. Absolutely. So we had a, I had a friend come down who ran another shop from, he came from another state and he brought his, his management team down and they wanted to know how we did our HR stuff and how do you do this and how do you do that? And so I said, I share everything. I gave, I showed him our systems that we used. And, but then I, I started to catch on and I said, well, you really have to love these people. <laughs> yeah. You have to know them. And then once you know them, I said, you could copy everything I'm doing. Right. It, it will work to a certain degree. Yeah. But if you're not willing to get to know them and love them, once you get to know them and love them, you'll know what their needs are. Mm. And then you can create things around what they need. Right. Like to be specifically, uh, I would, uh, every Monday, I would take some employees out to lunch. So my HR people, my managers would give me somebody to take out to lunch. And I discovered a lot of them didn't have cars because hmm. they were former felons. A lot of them didn't have driver's licenses. So they were driving illegally. So I put together this, this program, this, this, this plan to help them get on their feet. Cause I knew that I knew that some of them were getting ripped off by car dealers and they were getting paying huge interest rates. They couldn't get insurance. Mm -hmm. They were driving illegally. Mm -hmm. So I just step-by-step step put together a, a, a program, a plan mm -hmm. to help them out. And, and the one I met with several car dealers and I said, and we had a reputation in the community. We bought our management team. We'd buy new cars. So, you know, we, we were one of the larger businesses in the community. So we had some influence and I said, give me the name of somebody I can send my employees to and, and, and just make sure you give them a fair deal because your reputation's on the line if you don't. So make sure you treat them fairly. And then I went to the local bank and I met with them and, and they said, if an employee is in good standing in our company and they come in and they're willing to, to accept correction and willing to take some coaching, they will give them the best interest rate they can give them. Wow. 
And then, and then the next thing was they needed insurance because a lot of them were felons. Yeah. So I worked with a large insurance broker in St. Louis, and he said he, he won't charge a fee, but he'll help them get insurance. Wow. Then the next thing was, well, how do we know we're getting a good car? We had a couple of guys who were good with mechanics. I said, don't go alone looking for a car. Yeah. Bring one of these guys with you. And there was also a... Uh, a, a shop that did inspections, they said, well, we'll give free inspections. Mm. And, and so, uh, and then, and then repair work, there were guys who in our company who could do repair work. So that would help them with repairs. The big one, which was really thrilling, which people said that I couldn't do it, but I did it is I met with the, the local prosecutor wow. and, and, and I asked him if, if he could show some leniency to guys because a lot of them had a lot of fines and a lot of infractions against their driving record. And he said, if, if, if this is an employee in good standing and he's willing, he's showing a good faith effort to change his life, then we'll show leniency. And so there was a lot of times when they, they, would, they would give forgiveness for a lot of their tickets and, and reduce the fines mm -hmm. and help them actually to where they could drive legally. So what happens if you're a felon and you're looking for a job? Where are you going to go? You're going to go, you're going to go look for a place like that, right? I mean, you, well, they, yeah, a lot of times they came because they didn't have a choice where they, to go. They don't have a choice. And this is a place where there's a culture. So you, you want to say, are you a culture fit? Well, uh, I, I can't go anywhere else. And, um, and also what's it going to do for their work ethic within the company? Well, they have a strong buy-in, strong motivation mm -hmm. to do their very best. Because right. if they don't, they... They don't want to go back to prison. They don't want to go back to prison. I, I used to love to walk through the shop and, and guys would say, thank you so much. I'd be in prison or I'd be dead or I'd be on drugs right now. Mm -hmm. But we did push them. We told them, you've sure. got to draw a hard line yeah. on what you came from. You've got to have a strong work ethic. Mm -hmm. You've got to produce good work. You've got to be on time. You've got to respect the culture. You've got to get along with people. Mm -hmm. So we actually were pushing them to become better people. And a lot of them rose up in the company and had great, they, they rose up into careers, dream careers and, and got out of debt and, mm. and got, quit smoking and went on diets and went to the gym and got off of their medications. It's, a, it's this full circle. This is the city of God. This is what Christ did for us. You know, he's, he interceded, he stepped in when we were bound for, for eternal separation from him and he made a way and he provided all of the opportunities for us to make that change, make that life change. And yeah. now we're modeling your, or you were modeling that. in, in And our workplace, workplace was a masterpiece, yeah. a true masterpiece. And just, yeah, even people who decided not to be Christians, there were some guys who actually asked me to baptize them. So, and there were people who ended up going to church who never would have gone to church before. That's so good. Well, I, I think that's a good place to hang for today. Um, but again, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And I, I want to encourage you, reach out to us. Go to philcohen.co. That's P-H-I-L-C-O-H-E-N.co. Go to philcohen.co and there's a contact form. If this is sparking uh, any sort of interest or, or curiosity and and you want to know more, you want maybe you run a company and you want to see uh, what are some ways that I can actually implement this in a practical way? Like Phil said, we can give you all the tools and the steps. It's not going to work for you exactly the same way because you have a different city. You have different culture. 
but we want to be a resource and help you and uh, answer any questions that you have. And, and again, that's why this whole thing exists. If it just makes you 10% better or yeah. 5% better, you've lost. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's just, there, there's almost no downside. There's no to downside. This. Yeah. No downside. At least try it out. Like um, <laughs> uh, David Green said that just using biblical principles is just good for business. It's true. That's very true. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast today, and we will see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Leaders Podcast as we journey together toward healthy biblical leadership. If you're facing a particular challenge in your organization, please visit healthy-leaders.org. We would love to help you lead your organization to health.